Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I have my beautiful guest, Carrie Lynn, here today. I am Coach Britt, and the podcast is a weathered anchor. Um, before we get started, for anybody listening, I do want you to know that we are going to be talking about suicide today. So there could be some trigger warnings there. Um, so get your tissue or stop listening, whichever help, whatever you need there. So I uh, just want to be fair about the topic today. Um, so Miss Carrie Lynn is a peer counselor with me um, at the community mental health. She works in a different building, but this is how I met her. Um, we took a crisis training together for a week, um, a course, gosh, I guess that was end of June into July and learned a little bit more about her story. And so I love her story because while she, you know, has experienced the, the loss of her mother due to suicide, um, what she's done with it and how she's overcome it and, just her life story in general is pretty inspiring. So we'll start out, Miss Carrie. You know, you're you've been doing this for about a year, but prior to that, you were a teacher and a dance coach in Iowa and all that good stuff. So just give us a little bit of background about you. Yes. Well, I go by Carrie Lynn because it's just what my parents always called me. I think I was in trouble a lot as a child. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I'm from Spokane and grew up here and had a, other than a lot of trauma in my youth with my parents getting divorced and my mom was a hoarder and she died by suicide when I was 12. And then I went to live with my dad and he had previously married a woman that didn't like kids and didn't like my sister and I. So um, he had asked me to move out when I was 15 to live with my sister so there was all that stuff uh, going on. And so um, my sister and I had dealt with suicide since I was 12 and she was 15 and the, and the loss of our mom that way. And that was back in the 80s when people really didn't talk about suicide. Mm -hmm. So um, it was very shameful for us. And especially we didn't even talk about it with my mom's mom, my grandma no one in our family really talked about it. So we endured that for so many years. And finally, in our lifetime, we decided we wanted it to not overshadow her life anymore. Her death had become such a big overshadowing event of her life. And we had decided that we didn't want it to be that way anymore. We wanted to celebrate her life instead of her death. And uh, so we finally... Um, did something different. So I don't know if we're ready to talk about that yet, but um, yeah. during my journey, yeah, we'd had a lot of, you know, both my sister and I had a lot of trials. And when you lose someone to suicide, you question a lot of about yourself. What could I have done different? What's my worth? Was I not worthy enough to stay? And it really wasn't about us. She would have stayed had she been in the right state of mind. Um, so it's such a tragedy when people feel that much pain that they want to leave this earth um, yeah. and they think they're doing us a favor you know you won't have to suffer anymore it won't affect you my pain won't affect you because I'm leaving and really it it leaves us with so much extra pain mm -hmm. I still feel my mom's pain and I'm 49 and she died when I was 12 so I carry yeah. her pain still mm -hmm. so I I think that's something important to remember if you're feeling that way you absolutely 
are not going to protect those you leave behind. You are, you're just transferring pain. Mm-hmm. And if my mom at any point in time, I mean, I was 12, she would have called me and said, would you be better off without me? I would have begged and pleaded with her. Please don't leave me, mm-hmm. please. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it would have changed her mind. Right. Um, but the woman who lost her life that day wasn't the vibrant, happy woman I knew. Mm-hmm. And she lived a life of pain. And it was also a life that most people didn't know she was living in pain. She got most inspirational in college. And she often had a beautiful smile when she'd enter a room. I don't think people saw the pain that she was walking with most of her life. I think a lot of people living with depression are really good at masking it. Very I mean, good at we masking. see that in comedy. I mean, I think Robin Williams' death brought a lot of attention, you know, and then I see memes like on social media that say, check on your strong friends, check on your friends that are always cracking jokes. Like, I mean, I myself handle life with humor. We talked about that in my introduction episode, like my two best friends interviewed me and and they were like, you know, where does that come from? And I'm like, that's kind of like my method of choosing to cope. Yeah, for sure. You know, and while I have not personally ever contemplated suicide, life has been very dark. Mm -hmm. It has been very dark. And so, uh, you know, and I have a, a sibling that struggles with suicidal tendencies and thoughts and attempt. So I think there's a lot of stigma around that the whole concept, you know, when, when you and I talked before, you know, people would tell you it's selfish. It is something I've struggled with my whole life, both my sister and I. And, you know, when we, when we found out it was so horrific, you know, my sister was kind of the rebel in the, in the family and I had to live with my mom. So had my sister, but my mom was a terrible hoarder. So, uh, that was part of her disorder. She had OCD and anxiety and she had my, my dad had stepped out on her in the marriage. So she was dealing with a lot of stresses and she was a Tupperware lady and you know, that doesn't make a lot of money. Um, she also sold discovery toys, which were just toys that you would sell like at a Tupperware. So except she'd have discovery toy parties. So she was a saleswoman and that doesn't make a lot of money. She was struggling financially, about ready for bankruptcy, which my sister and I found out later. My sister had moved in with my dad as an eighth grader. She didn't want to live in a house that was unlivable. I mean, those shows that you see hoarding buried alive, we we yeah. lived in a situation like that. <clears throat> so she wanted to have friends over and moved in with my dad and then I was living with her and she had a mental breakdown, which I didn't understand what that was. I had gone to school the next day and was like, Hey, my mom had a mental breakdown, told this little kid, Adam, in my sixth grade class. And I'm sure he's like, great. Not really sure what you want me to do about that. But I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. All I knew is now I had to go live with my dad and, and this lady who didn't like us. I think when she married my dad, she didn't realize like she knew he had kids, but she had no anticipation of us actually living there in their yeah. home. Yeah. So now she was like, oh crap, there's these kids I don't like. And 
we lived there for a while and in an anticipation of my mom getting better, I was hoping to move home that summer. And instead we um, found out one morning, my dad and his wife were at home and they called my sister and I up and said, we need to talk to you. And I thought, oh crap, my sister's, you know, snuck out of the house. We're going to get in trouble. And instead they informed us that um, our mom had passed away by suicide and my sister dashed out of the house and she was screaming and I just began to panic because I needed my sister. She had been my whole world through all the trauma we'd already suffered, the divorce, the hoarding, my dad marrying someone I didn't like. Um, my sister wasn't a fan either. So we had just always, she'd always been my rock and now she was fleeing when I needed her the most. So I followed her and there was a park behind my dad's house and she just was running and I just was running after her like Laurel come back and we just hugged and embraced and she cried and I cried and we just cried right and we didn't know what to do like how what do we do next and so you know we've just been there for each other the rest of the time and I think that the hardest question you hear when you lose someone to suicide is how did they die Mm -hmm. then you're like will they understand if I tell them or will they think I'm crazy and she's crazy I think that was always my biggest fear like she wasn't crazy right. she was desperately alone and afraid and sad mm -hmm. and I think that just makes me the most sad to mm -hmm. know how desperate she was and so when they say she's selfish I'm like you don't even know and no. that's really selfish of you to say because you don't know my mom it's also you don't know. very judgmental. Totally judgmental. Mm -hmm. And even to this day, I have friends that will say that to me. Mm -hmm. And it's harsh judgment. And I think if they just took a moment <clears throat> to think, like, how would a mother in that moment be so sad and alone and afraid and see no hope? Mm -hmm. make that choice they must have been very very hopeless yeah the the compassion, that choice. The compassion no is lost on that and I can I can honestly say I have uttered those words out of my mouth before that suicide is selfish and then you start to go oh and I grow up and I go oh oh and so even sitting in the peer counselor role you know, there's this concept in the mental health world because people's licenses are on the line. And if somebody threatens self-harm or harm to somebody else and you don't report it, or you didn't do all your due diligence um, <clears throat> to help prevent that and safety plan and get the, get the person the help they need. I just have learned from growing up with my brother who has suffered with, lived with severe depression to a debilitating point at times um, that they're, they're so broken. And because I'm, I'm so thankful, I know this sounds twisted, but the experience with my brother has allowed me to hold so much more compassion and space for somebody. And there's not a week that goes by that somebody doesn't sit in front of me and tell me they're having suicidal thoughts. And I'm not going to go to the Columbia suicide assessment. I'm not going to go the clinical route. And my very first question to every single person that has ever said that to me is, do you want to die or do you want the pain to stop? 
And then they just ball their face off. Right. Every single one of them has answered, I want the pain to stop. Nobody has just said, I want to die. And they think they're a burden. They are so broken and so hurting that they think that their pain is causing us pain. And you kind of touched on that. And it it is painful to watch somebody be so sad and to hurt, Mm -hmm. but it is not less pain for you to, to, to go away. Right. And so transfer of pain. That's what I've always felt. It's a transfer of pain. Even on my social media, like through my coaching platform, I, I will, I'll say, I don't care. Message me. I don't know you. And it's on Instagram. Call me. Like I will sit with you through that before I want to read another suicide statistic. Yeah. Yeah. But there is such a huge component. I think with mental illness in general, People don't understand it. Cancer, you can see. A broken leg, you can see. There's physical manifestations. I mean, when you think about people living with depression, sometimes it's so severe that they don't shower or brush their teeth. Mm -hmm. And people want to judge that and be like, how can you not brush your teeth? Yeah. You've clearly never lived with that severity of of depression. Yeah. So I wish and I hope what people get from listening to this you know, we learned this concept. We practice this concept of changing the verbiage from what's wrong with you, which is very shameful and damning to what happened to you. And if we would go through life, when we see somebody that's behaving in a way that doesn't resonate with us, or is just completely like, what the hell, instead of going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Hold some compassion for five seconds and be like, I wonder what happened to them. Because healthy people don't behave in unhealthy way. Right. So the pain, she, I, I, I was always trying to figure out like, how do you describe this to someone? Because I too have felt that pain mm-hmm. when, when my, I told my mom that my dad was marrying this woman when they were getting married. I said, if he marries her, I'm going to kill myself. And we were driving and she mm-hmm. said, she turned around and she was driving. She's like, don't you ever say that to me? I mean, so she knew the severity of those words. I had no idea at 10 years old, the severity of those words, but I just was so upset that he would marry this woman who didn't like kids. You know, she didn't like us. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, you know, like as a a youth, you might say something clearly that you don't know the impact of. And she was very clear to me. You don't say those words. We're never going to do that to ourselves. She was always the woman who had don't quit. Don't give up you know, keep pursuing. And then for her to, I mean, the most inspirational in college, she was always that woman helping other people up. And then underneath she had all this pain and I'm sure there was childhood trauma. You know, we, we learned a lot after my mom's death, we went to Eastern state hospital and found some of her records. So we were able to learn a little bit, not enough. Uh, so she was living with intense pain that she wouldn't even share behind this smile, you know? And I think like you say, even with humor, we hide a lot of our pain. No one wants to walk around and when someone says, Hey, how you doing? Well, I'm really doing bad today. My childhood trauma is triggering me today. So we hide behind it. And, uh, and I think that happened to her a lot. And again, we didn't want to share when people would be like, Oh, how'd your mom die? We'd be like, some days we would, you know, she got really sick and all from what, um, you know, to the hospital, we're not really sure because we knew some people couldn't handle it. And there would come this, oh, she was really selfish if she did that to you. Oh my gosh, how could she do that? Well, you don't know her pain. 
and you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know her pain, mm-hmm. you're going to judge me and I don't want to feel judged today. So some yeah. people, we would be able to share that and they could handle it. And the people who said, well, it's selfish. I just say, well, that's really selfish of you to not have compassion for what she was going through because you really right. don't know her. And, and I think the heaviness. Judgment does nothing. No. no it really, it, it does nothing but just cause more harm. So you're being selfish in not holding compassion. You're also being selfish in not recognizing the hurt of the person that you're talking to who lost their mother. I had a good friend in the car. It was probably last year and we were coming home from something and we were talking about, I have had friends who've lost children. I mean, like kills me to the core that they would lose a child, like I thought the worst thing in the world was to lose a parent by suicide. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, oh my gosh, if my kid does that, that's mm-hmm. excruciating. And they were like, well, I think so. Suicide is selfish. And I was like, we're driving in the car together and you've known me since I was 12 and you're saying these words to me. I wanted to screech my car to a halt and say, get out. Yeah. Still yeah. have these words. And I thought, you just don't know. You don't know. And I think that's a way also, not that it's excusable by any stretch of the imagination that that's people having to face their fear. And the only thing they can do is put a judgment on it because they don't understand it, but it also terrifies the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. If you've never felt that way, I think you are super, super lucky. Yeah. That you've never felt the depth of pain or so you've never had someone you love hasn't felt that depth of pain that they feel so hopeless. It's kind of like, you know, when you feel hopeless, like it's these satchels, right? I think we talked about yeah. this a little bit and you wear these satchels of hurt and pain and hopeless. And it's so heavy. You're literally weighted to the ground. Mm-hmm. And then there's almost one more that puts on your face. Like I can't even see to do anything else. There's no light left in me. And I'm so, so sorry to all those I love, but I can't do it anymore. I'm so, right. so weighted down. And so they choose death Mm -hmm. and then all those painful satchels transfer to those left behind here, dad, here, daughter, you now carry my pain because I can't anymore. It was too heavy. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. just go away. It transfers to those left behind. So we give it to our parents. We give it to our children because it doesn't just go away. Mm-mm. I've carried my mom's pain since she, you know, since she died and I was 12 and I'm 49. Yeah. So I still carry it. It's mm-hmm. a satchel I wear and I don't want yeah. to do once you lose someone to suicide, it's a group you can never leave and you didn't ask to join. Yep. So I just, you know, I hope anybody listening, like, you know, if you've never dealt with it, you are, you are blessed, whether you've felt it yourself or whether you've had to sit at a psychiatric ward with somebody, you know, because it is painful and I'm going to actually have my brother on here and we're going to talk about his battle with depression since he was four years old, his suicidal ideations and tendency. And it is heartbreaking to sit next to somebody and, and watch that pain you know, and you're just like, please, just anything like, and you're willing to take that pain. Like yeah. as that person, you are willing to hold that space and hold that pain for them. If it will keep them alive. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it is not, it's not an easy conversation mm-hmm. and they're so broken. And how lucky truly are you to never have to sit and hold that kind of space or hurt for somebody that you love dearly. Yeah. But don't so, run around judging it. No, don't run around judging. And to, I see a lot of kids <clears> too. <throat> and it is, it's heartbreaking. And I share my story and I let them know mm-hmm. I carry my mom's pain yeah because I want them to know their parents won't be okay mm-hmm. their sister won't be okay their best friend you know I'm like, like oh you know what would you do what would you think your friend would say oh they'd be okay well would they that's what they really what I know they are going to scream and say why mm-hmm. please don't do this I need you I need yeah. you you are worthy of living mm-hmm. and please don't die. Please don't die. And this, I would have begged my mother mm-hmm. had she called yeah. me, had she said those words to me. Like, at, 12, at 12, at 12, at mm-hmm. 12, please don't die. I need you. And her words to us were, I'm sorry, I've done the best I could. And I'd say, I don't care how hard you think you're working and you think it doesn't matter. Yeah. It matters to me. And here's, here's what gave me a different perspective and about how broken somebody is because they do, they're so hurting and they feel like they're a burden and they feel like your life will be better without them. But Mm -hmm. to contrast that, I lost my niece at 20, she was 25 years old to breast cancer, but obviously that is a slow death. Um, you watch somebody deteriorate, but we had a lot of beautiful conversations and, you know, I can't imagine being 25, leaving behind a child, knowing that you're going to die. You're facing death down. There's no coming back from this for you and understanding the grief that people are going to have when you're gone. Like that's the difference. So Mm -hmm. she said to me, I know you're going to be sad and that's okay but I don't want you to be sad forever. I want you to live and I want you to be happy and I want you to honor life because I don't get that gift. Like that's a, that's two people staring death down potentially with completely different mentalities. Mm -hmm. And this person thinks your life's going to be better without them. And this person is saying live. And suicide is like this. Yeah. Our world was so abruptly different yep. and it leaves those left behind in fear that things can go wrong at any moment. Yeah. And that's how I started with severe anxiety mm-hmm. that anything can go wrong at any moment. And that's how I lived for a long time. I was so afraid to smile and have fun. Cause you know, I was having a good morning things were fine. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, my mom's not here anymore. Yeah. Well, where is she? Wait mm-hmm. a minute. She just took her life, mm-hmm. but you know, she also had a, a barbecue in her room. So she was waiting, I think for yeah. someone to save her. Mm-hmm. No one did. Yeah. I want to get to how you celebrate. I want to get to how you celebrate her right now, but I also, part of your story, like what you're kind of heading into is the effects that it had, the, the hoarding, the, the, I mean, your dad kicked you out at 15 to go live with your sister. So your 18 year old sister and you are living together. And then 
this kind of leads you into an abusive relationship. Like these types of things have impact step by step by step through our life. And while this may not be aired in October, October is when we're recording this and it's domestic violence awareness month. And we talked about, you know, when you, when you suffer certain things as a child, it, it shapes your decisions as an older person. So if you're comfortable with that, will you share kind of how that progressed? And I want to end on a happy note. So I want to end with how you celebrate your mom, but if you're oh, yeah, I for sure felt unworthy, you know, like she chose to leave me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how you told me again, like she, you helped me to see not only was it abandonment, there's also betrayal. Like when mm-hmm. she left me, I was left with a dad who was more interested in making his marriage work than he was with raising his daughter. Mm-hmm. So he kicked me out at 15 to live with an 18 year old. So there was two young women trying to figure out our own way after we had lived in a hoarding situation with a mother, we had lost our mother to suicide. And then he said, good luck, ladies. I've got a wife I need to tend to. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of feelings of unworthiness. And I ended up in in a relationship where someone was verbally very abusive to me and also physically abusive to me, financially Mm -hmm. abusive to me. And I didn't know my worth Mm -hmm. and it definitely shaped me in a way that uh, I had to fight for my voice again. I had lost it. Yeah. And uh, in that process, my sister and I, she was always there for me, but there also was a time where I was told you choose either your sister or your family. And so I, I lost contact for a few years with my sister because I was forced to make a decision. Because and, she saw the abuse that you were living in. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for people. Yeah. You, um, and of course I had my kids at the time. So my kids were my priority and yeah. So that was challenging. I mean, there were so many life choices where I, I lost a lot because of all these situations in my life journey that made me feel incomplete, unworthy and I finally am. I'm okay now. I'm not mm-hmm. in that abusive relationship. I'm. I found my voice. I'm helping others, yeah. and my sister and I, after so long of feeling the shame, suicide unfortunately has a stigma of shame, and yeah, because you know someone took their life because they were so sad and so desperate, and the hope was gone. Mm-hmm. So we chose on the day that she took her life because she was so hopeless and she was really an, an inspiration. This is my mom right here. I have to show you. She Aww, was a yes, day queen. Her smile lit up the room and we decided we're no longer going to live under that shameful umbrella. We're going to celebrate her life and no longer are we going to let her death be what we focus on we're going to focus on her life and she was a kind caring giving woman so on that day that she died we're going to spread hope Mm -hmm. and we're going to lift people up and it's not really about my mom's death it's not about celebrating suicide it's about celebrating hope because you never know where someone is in their journey so Mm -hmm. we're going to give hope we're going to offer hope that day and we want people to celebrate their own people, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe you've got someone who's feeling a little extra down. My, my dog is barking in the background. Okay. Um, 
if they're feeling a little extra down or maybe you just need to to do something kind that day do it or if you mm-hmm. lost someone and you want to honor them yeah. honor that person yep. it's not about our mom it's about offering hope yeah. so we call it bonnie's hope day on june 30th we just do a little extra that day or maybe you mm-hmm. thought about giving blood and you haven't done it do it that day yeah and it just a day that was so dark and so hopeless before as now we wake up and we're like day? let's go spread some hope so yeah it's really actually just turned our whole vision around to mm-hmm. to be oh shoot it's the day mom died right and now right. we can say we're offering hope mm-hmm. and if it helps one person that day or if it helps one family because we try to also bring in other families that have lost a loved one mm-hmm. we can say now let's do like I know a family and they lost their son, Kellen. They have started an amazing organization called Kellen Cares. Mm-hmm. And they help other families who have lost someone to suicide yeah. because yep. it's not available. That information just isn't out there. It's still so taboo. And we're saying, we don't want people to commit suicide. Excuse me, that's not even the word I should be saying. We don't want people to take their lives by suicide. Yeah, We want people to live. Mm-hmm. We want it so bad, but we know it happens. And if it mm-hmm. happens, we're here. Yeah. We want life. Living is the best choice. Mm-hmm. Please live. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful because um, if they had hope, chances are they'd still be here. And that is one thing that is so beautiful about the peer counselor role. Uh, you know, we get to share lived experiences. We get to share hope. We get to hold hope for people and ask people, let me hold hope for you until you can feel it for yourself. Trust me. And you know, like your story is powerful and people, I, I want people to understand that sharing your story, no matter how scary it is. And I am really realizing like, I have a big piece of my story to share and I've been terrified to do it myself, but, but it's such a message of hope that it's the focus isn't about the abuse and the crap that I survived, even though that's a piece of it. Um, but it's the message of hope and healing and, you know, it's the, and so I just challenge anybody listening to find compassion when you, when you're confronted with something that is hard for you to process logically or emotionally, that's a good time to stay quiet. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, right? don't process out, don't process and verbally dump out loud. And that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of training to do, but practice that, you know, if it's uncomfortable, there's a reason it, why is it uncomfortable? Because you actually have hopelessness in your own life because you've experienced this because you haven't worked through this. Um, it's just, it's important, you know, to hold a space of compassion and understand Brene Brown says, no one rides for free. We, none of us get out of this life for free. We don't, we don't get out of life without trauma, without crisis, without loss and grief. And obviously horribly, sometimes a lot of abuse. Is your dog going to die? Is he okay? I know, I know. He's is he like puking okay. in the background? <laughs> You're fine. I'm just like, is he okay? <laughs> okay. I'm fine with the noises, just as long as you don't need to like up and yeah, go. I'm trying to up and I'm like, just chill with the Yes. But anyway, I just, I love it. And I loved your, the whole thing. I mean, that crisis training week 
was like a colossal meltdown moment for me and suicide came up and I was just like, if nobody touches me, I'll be fine as we're doing this activity. And then here comes Carrie Lynn and she can see my face is going to fall apart. She's like, oh, hug. And then like two hours later, I'm still crying, like <laughs> just unleashed. But, you know, it's and and I haven't lost anybody, but I haven't lost my brother, thankfully, yet. But it's not that I haven't sat many, many nights in many phone calls listening to him and talking to him and trying to bring him, just keep him here. You know, yeah. uh, and I'm 42 and he's, you know, 40, 41, I don't know, 41, maybe now, I don't know. He's 18 months younger than me. And, okay. and like, I'm, I'm proud that his bravery is going to come on to this, to this platform and talk about it because, you know, I think there's always different angles of people's stories because not only, I mean, you get to share this story, but your mom's not here to share what her lived experiences with the feelings that she had. And I am glad that my brother is there, but it's, you know, his story with living with it and attempting and those different types of thoughts and all of those things is different from my story of being the outside watching it. And it's going to be emotional as hell. Neither of us is getting through that without a dry eye. Obviously I can't even talk about it because my brother is one of my heroes. He is an amazing human being. And I'm just like, you don't under, he doesn't understand his influence on people's lives Mm -hmm. because of the depression piece. And he says that all the time. Everyone looks at me and thinks this, and it's like, no, we see it. You don't see it, but let us see it for you. And let us remind you of it. So I think, you know, and and but you you also brought up you do a walk in September. What's the walk? So yeah, there is a walk. Um, it's out of the darkness, and it's yeah. so powerful because you go to it, and everybody there has survived some sort of mm-hmm. uh, suicide. And it you wear a certain uh, color necklace representing if it's been someone in the military you've lost, or if it's a parent, or if it's a child. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I did that, and it still gives me chills to think about because we're older and we still wore a necklace, the color of a parent and we see children there and they're wearing a parent. And like for us, you know, we're like bawling because we're watching these children and we're like, they want, but you were also a child. So it's like, you know, you know, we didn't have these outlets, you know, and I, I appreciate Facebook in a way where we can have people posting like, I'm honoring my child and Mm -hmm. we never want a child to say life is over for me because your story is just beginning. And I I like to use that a lot with my, the kids who come into me, you know, I'm like, this is your book and do not close this book. You are not ready. You Mm -hmm. have so much to write in your book. And just because it's painful right now, right now, don't close your book. Mm -hmm. This story of yours has so much to write in it and I know it's hard right now and I know it's painful but your book deserves to stay open Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to use that you know please don't pass your pain to your mom because every day or your dad and maybe that's who you're mad at right now Mm -hmm. but someone in your journey is going to be screaming at you why and they don't want to be they want you here they Mm -hmm. don't want to be screaming why and they deserve for you to help get that pain off of you, but they don't want to carry it. Yeah. They want to resolve it together and there's hope. And I, you know, I feel so strongly about it. I have a tattooed on my hand, on my wrist. Like there is hope there's help. 
don't close your book, no matter who you are. Don't, if you're a parent, your kids need you. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee this. If you're a sister or brother, your siblings need you. They will not go a day without thinking about you, without wondering how they could have helped. They don't want to carry your pain in your death. They'll help you through your pain in your life. Yeah. Live. We're here to help, right? As you know, you'll sit through any day, any night, any hour, any minute. Mm-hmm. But we do not want to carry your pain in your death. No, no. Not for one minute. And that's why I say, I don't care if you're listening and I don't know you, you can find my Instagram. You can come reach out and message. Um, yeah. Just please, you know, there's the 988 um, suicide line now. Yeah. Um, there's, there's resources and there are resources. For the people that are like, for the people that don't like the system, you know, there is that. I don't want to go to a hospital because it's cold and it's heartless and it's not, you know, they're just going through motions. Call, call somebody, please call somebody. Call somebody. If I know my mom had made attempts prior. Yeah. In that moment or during the time she was sitting in that room, my mom's best friend someone would have been available for her to talk through that pain because living with her pain is really hard after she died. Mm -hmm. We can't do anything anymore, but we can do something while you're living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I love you. I love your story. I still have my big yellow sunflowers that have the word hopes, hope on them. They sit at my office. Um, It's bright and yellow. Yellow's happy. And, um, you know, I'm, I appreciate you coming on here and talking because it's a tough subject, but I, I love your story. I love what you've done with it. And I think it's beautiful. It's a tough subject to talk about, but I have to ask you one final question. And that is what anchors your heart, mind, and spirit? What angers it? Anchors. Oh, I was like, (laughs) no, 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 ma'am. My business is Anchored Consulting and Coaching. I want to know. Anchor. Okay, I feel that. Okay, I feel that better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) I was like, do you really want to know? No. I mean, you can tell me side side. Yeah. What anchors you? What keeps you grounded? You know, I'd have to say it's my kids. Because once I have that blessing and they keep me going I mean I have actually when I was not well in my mental health when I was being consistently put down and belittled and um, I wanted to die Mm -hmm. I actually had a plan Mm -hmm. and my daughter knocked on my door and she's like mommy and I was like holy crap what am I doing I I don't want to ever have them feel my pain like that. Mm -hmm. And I want them to feel proud of the work I do. Mm -hmm. And if it's kindness to anyone, Mm -hmm. I want that. I want to leave a legacy of hope and kindness. Mm -hmm. That anchors me. I love it. There's no better ending than that. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
Oh, thank you so much. Topic, yeah. Well, I adore you to pieces. I'm glad I get to work with you, <laughs> even though we're in different buildings. You're yeah. amazing, and I'm, I'm just always thankful and astonished at the the people that get put into the path of my life, mm. and I just love it. And I think you know, both you and I have survived the narcissistic man, yeah. the abuse, and again, coming out of that, doing the work and healing. It, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually change my experiences for anything because I would not be the person that I am today without them. Right. I wouldn't. And that sounds twisted and that sounds strange. I don't believe that there's a reason that everything happens. I hate that saying because sometimes that reason is a piece of shit human, but I do believe we hold our power and we hold our choice in choosing to heal and be healthy. We don't get to choose what happens to us all the time, but we do get to choose what we do with what happens to us. And I think that's the powerful moment. And so I love what you, I I just love you. I have goosebumps. I just love you. I love you. I love you, Brett. Thank you for sharing this moment with me. Absolutely. And I will see you around at work (laughs) or, you know, for drinks or whatever, if you want to go out whatever it may be whatever that brings yes ma'am all right well have a beautiful rest of your day thank you so much bye